Hello London, we are ready for your vote. Hello, I'm Stephen Perkins and this is Douze Point, a brand new podcast from the Binge Watch family that celebrates the weird and always wonderful world of the Eurovision Song Contest. I'm a TV magazine journalist and a Eurovision obsessive, and together we'll be exploring everything that makes the show great, from breaking news and current stories to deeper dives into the history of the contest. So thank you, brilliant listener, for joining me, and I hope we're going to have fun. We'd love to hear from you as well, so if you've got a hot Eurovision take you want to share, get in touch with us via our socials at bingewatch underscore pod on Twitter. In almost exactly two months, the first semi-final will be kicking off at the Liverpool Arena, so let's take a look at the latest Eurovision news. The lineup for this year's contest is now fully confirmed, with Sweden and Portugal the final two countries to lock in their acts, and Georgia the final country to reveal their song. Georgia haven't qualified for the final since 2016, but early murmurs about Iru's echo, and that's not a euphemism, are pretty positive, so could they be on track to turn their luck around? In one of the most unexpected turns of events in the run-up to this year's competition, Twitter user Oshinti has pointed out that the first two verses of Armenia's entry, Future Lover, by Brunette, have all been lifted from Tumblr quotes. It's certainly an interesting way to drum up attention and try to go a little bit viral, let's just hope it works out a little bit better for them than the Social Network song did for San Marino in 2012. And finally, the first two performance positions for the grand final have been revealed. As host nations, Ukraine and the United Kingdom got to jump the queue and draw their slots first. Ukraine's Tvorchi will go 19th on the Saturday night, and May Muller will go 26th, or last if you prefer. Opinion is still somewhat split on whether this is good for us or not. Common understanding is that somewhere between 17th and 22nd are the premium slots, but later is still better than earlier. However, nobody has won from the final performance slot since Yugoslavia in 1989. And those are your Eurovision headlines. Now, as excited as we are to be hosting the Eurovision in the UK for the first time since 1998, it's a bittersweet moment because in a fair and just world, this year's competition would be hosted by Ukraine following their victory in Turin last year. As we all know, the ongoing war in Ukraine has made it impossible for them to host this year's competition on home turf. So, the United Kingdom, as last year's runner-up, is hosting it on their behalf, with the promise to showcase Ukrainian culture and talent during the live shows. And here at Douzepoir, that is something we'd like to do too. So, strap yourselves into your oversized hamster wheels and brush up on your Crimean tartar as we present our brief history of Ukraine at Eurovision. Ukraine made its debut at Eurovision in 2003 and has since gone on to school all the rest of us old hands into exactly how you do it. Not only do they have three wins under their belts from just 17 attempts, but they have also qualified for the final of every single contest they have competed in, and no other country outside the Big Five has done that. And I'm sure if you're listening to this, you know exactly who the Big Five are, but just in case you don't, that's France, Germany, Italy, Spain and the United Kingdom all of whom receive an automatic pass each year to the grand final due to the amount of money that they contribute to the EBU. And we can debate the fairness of that another time, but it's safe to say that managing to qualify every single time makes Ukraine a pretty big deal at Eurovision. You don't pick up three wins, two silver medals, a bronze, and five more top ten finishes without sending some pretty memorable tracks and performers to the contest. So let's take a look at some of those highlights. We're going to start with Ukraine's first ever winner on only their second attempt. Ruslana, who triumphed at Turkey in 2004 with her song Wild Dances. Ruslana took to the stage in Istanbul in a haze of flames and insistent drum beats, clad in leather and animal skins, and won the voters' hearts with a combination of a pneumatic dance routine and powerful live vocals, exhorting a lover to want her with the irresistible refrain, Go! 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 Wild Dances! Although, with our finger on the pulse, 
As ever, the United Kingdom only awarded her a measly five points. And as a little aside here, if you want some insight into why we've been doing so badly at Eurovision, and you've got 20 minutes or so to spare, scroll back through the last couple of decades on Wikipedia and see how many points we've been giving the winning song. And I think that's a pretty good demonstration of the general misalignment of the tastes of everyone else and the tastes of the UK. Welcome, 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 welcome to Ukraine! Bonsoir! Bonsoir, mesdames et messieurs! Soyez les bienvenus en Ukraine! Good evening, everybody! Добрый вечер, шановные друзья! Привитесь в Ярославе! So, in 2005, we found ourselves in Kiev for the first time at the Palace of Sports for Eurovision. Now, this was one of the few years in which Ukraine was spared the rigmarole of qualifying from the semis because they were the host country. But as is often the case with host countries, that year's entry, Razom Nazbahato by Green Jolly, received some very polite points saying, thank you for hosting the contest, folks. We really appreciate it. Weren't so sure about the song, though. And it never came close to troubling for the win. And it would be Ukraine's lowest placing in a final until the next time they hosted. Let's fast forward slightly to 2007, and perhaps the most infamous Ukrainian entrant of all, Verka Sajuchka with Dancing Lashatumbai. This was an incredible earworm of a nonsense song that drove right up to the border of outright breaking the contest rules against political content in lyrics, because the line Lasha Tumbai sounded very close to Russia goodbye. Though the songwriter insisted it was actually a Mongolian phrase that meant something like whipped cream or milkshakes, which is you know, a great defence when it's a nonsense song and none of the lyrics make any sense, but there's a lot of dispute over whether that is true in any way whatsoever. Many people had this tip for another Ukraine victory, and Verka came within a whisker of triumph, but ended up finishing in second place, 33 points behind eventual winner, and, if you ask me, stone-cold belter, Molitva, by Serbia's Maria Serifovic. With the Eurovision credibility well established by this point, Ukraine could have been forgiven for just, you know, coasting along, phoning it in a bit the following few years, but oh no, they sent Annie Lorak in 2008 with the banger Shady Lady, with some staging that I think may have subtly influenced Doridos for Moldova in 2018, and chalked up another second place finish. I'm going to do my best to stick to the canon as rigidly as possible in this podcast, but having said that, this would be one of those occasions where if I could rewrite history, I would make Ukraine the winners, because the actual winner, Believe, by Russia's Dima Balan, is one of my absolute least favourite winners of this century. Not because it's Russia, or that doesn't hurt, but because it is, to my mind, just a genuinely terrible song, and the sort of thing that would have been rejected from the story of Fire Saga for just being a little bit too on the nose as a parody of Empty Bombast. I can't take this shit! Okay? Okay. It's like this much shit. I know. I can maybe take this much shit, but it's up here. But I'm digressing here, so let's keep going. After a few years of respectable mid-table finishes, with a quick nip up to fourth place for Michael Newton's Angel in 2011, we're going to skip ahead now to 2013 for another superb piece of staging, Zlata Onyenovich's Gravity, where she was carried onto the stage in the arms of a giant. Now, if I've got one criticism of this performance, it's that it doesn't really take full advantage of the very large man who simply places her on the dais and then retreats into the background and we never really see him again. So that's a bit of a disappointment and I feel like there's a lot more they could have done there. But it is nonetheless a suitably apt opening for a piece of staging that's filled with this fairy tale type wonder. And it's a song that I don't think would feel too out of place as like the second act opener in a Disney animation where the heroine sings a song that she's finally discovered her purpose. It's got that kind of vibe to it. It's a really, really fun song. And it made a third place finish in that year's final. So it went down really, really well with voters as well. That takes us to 2014, which is the moment we've all been waiting for. It's Maria Yaramchuk with TikTok and her giant hamster wheel and the very attractive man running around inside it, as referenced in both Love, Love, Peace, Peace and the story of Fire Saga. 
By the way, if you haven't heard the original version of this song, I strongly recommend you check out her national final performance on YouTube. The opening line to this song used to be, we belong to each other like a sister to a brother, which, as love songs go, I feel is a bit of a red flag, so no wonder they changed it by the time they got to Eurovision. But even if you take the absolutely absurd staging away from this song, it's one of my all-time favourite Ukrainian entries, and the fact that it only made sixth in that year's final was a really big disappointment to me, particularly since they finished behind Aram MP3 for Armenia, which was the presumed uh, winner of that year's contest and had been gradually slipping down the betting odds once people started actually hearing it in the context of all the other entries. Now, in 2015, Ukraine were forced to take a year away from Eurovision due to financial issues, but 2016 saw them come back with renewed fervour, and another occasion where, they, where their lyrics came with a fair deal of controversy. 1944 by Jamala was sung in a combination of English and Crimean Tatar, and it was a mournful ballad about the deportation of the Crimean Tatars by the Soviet Union in the 1940s. Needless to say, Russia were not especially happy about this song's inclusion in the competition because they felt it was unnecessarily political, and they were probably even less happy about the fact that they ended up losing to Ukraine despite winning the televote overall that year. But it's hard to argue with the sheer raw emotion of Jamala's performance and the almost primal energy of the howl that she admits coming out of the middle eight. It might not be one of those winning songs that people go back to and re-listen to an awful lot, but I will say this much, whenever I go back and listen to it, and I have done a few times, tears just spring into my eyes whenever she reaches that point in the song because it's just such an incredibly potent moment. That brings us to 2017, Ukraine's most recent hosting of the competition, in Kiev once again, but this time at the larger International Exhibition Centre. This year's event was definitely not without controversy either. Russia withdrew on the count of their artist, Yulia Samolova, having previously travelled into Crimea directly from Russia, which was in contravention of Ukrainian law. Now, it's been speculated that this was all ploy on Russia's part, that they knew about it, that they expected it to happen, and that they wanted it to happen so that they would look like innocent victims and Ukraine would look like the bad guys. Whether that's true or not, I can't say for certain, but I think if it is true, it was very unfortunate for poor Yulia, who ended up being the poor pawn in all of that, and also then came back in 2018 to represent Russia in Portugal, uh, and ended up being the first Russian entry at Eurovision to fail to qualify for the semi-finals. Anyway, as for Ukraine that year, their entry was Time by O Torvalds, which was pretty much the definition of the sort of entry that you send when you're happy to be hosting this year, but you definitely don't want to host again next year. And the alt-metal track finished 24th out of 26 countries. 2018 was a particularly memorable year staging-wise, with Melovin's Under the Ladder giving us a little bit of Dracula chic, arriving on stage inside a coffin, rising up out of it wearing a cape, and looking a little bit as though he wanted to bite the necks of everyone in the audience. The vampiric theatrics were a heck of an opener for that year's grand final, as he went on first that year, and despite its huge popularity with viewers, finishing sixth overall in the televote, the juries did not care for it at all, and only made a disappointing 17th in the final positions. 2019 was a bit of a thorny year for Ukraine at Eurovision. They held their national final Vidbia, and it was won by Maruv with Siren Song. But following her victory, she was required to sign a contract stating she would not perform in Russia in the run-up to the contest. And that was a strange thing to happen because that was a very normal part of the publicity campaign for Ukrainian entries at the time. The contract reportedly also contained other clauses forbidding her from things like improvising on stage, and the broadcaster UAPBC said they would not compensate her financially for participating in the competition, and they wouldn't fund her trip to Tel Aviv either for that year's competition. I don't know if they actually said the words, don't worry, it's great exposure, but I feel like that was the general gist. Anyway, 
The deadline for confirmation arrived, it came and went. Maruf declined to sign the contract, so UAPBC offered it to the runner-up Freedom Jazz, who also said no. When the second runner-up, Casca, also told them where they could shove the contract, the broadcaster had to admit that they were unable to select an entrance for that year's competition and withdrew entirely. As it didn't make it to your vision that year, you may not have heard Siren Song, but that's another one that I would recommend that you pop on your playlist after listening to this podcast, because it's a bit of a tune. Go A were initially selected to represent Ukraine at Eurovision in 2020 with Solovey, and of course we all know what happened that year, but they were able to return with a new song, Shum, in Rotterdam in 2021. This was an incredible moment in the live show in the grand final. It was a trippy, insistent folk rock anthem with an irresistible build that absolutely blew the roof off the arena and was just an incredible thing to witness. It finished in sixth place, which was a pretty good position overall, It could have done better because it was paid absolute dirt by the juries, but it did finish a very comfortable second in the televote. A little sidebar here, I had the great joy of going to see Go A when they performed in London last year. Uh, I was meant to see them twice, uh, the original the first time. Unfortunately, I contracted coronavirus two days before the concert, so I had to stay home. But they came back, I went the second time, and it was incredible. They had us all join hands and do this choreographed circle dance that they were directing from the stage and I think that just goes to show the incredible performance power and stage presence that they have that really just gets an audience on side I've never known anything like it and that brings us to 2022 there was a stuttering start to that year's campaign for Ukraine in which the winner of Vidbia Alina Pash didn't go on to Eurovision due to revelations about her own travel history in Crimea so the first runner-up Stefania by Kalish Orchestra was announced as Ukraine's entry for that year's contest This announcement took place on the 22nd of February, two days before Russia invaded Ukraine. Amid speculation that Ukraine may have to withdraw from the competition, they persevered and quickly became favourites to win outright, and in a grand final that was emotional, even by Eurovision standards, they emerged as the clear winners, 193 points ahead of the runners-up, which was us, by the way. Yeah, the UK did pretty well that year too, but that's a story that we'll go into in depth another time. So we have a winner! The winner of the Eurovision Song And that brings us to 2023, with Ukraine returning as the reigning champions but unable to host the competition on home soil. That in itself is an incredible story, but their entry this year is Heart of Steel by Tvorchi, and we'll have to wait and see how that gets on. We'll find out in a couple of months. That's it for your inaugural edition of Douspoir. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back soon with more news, analysis and more meandering avenues of my own Eurovision memories. If you enjoyed, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your podcast platform and maybe leave a review or tell your friends. Until next time, good night Europe and good morning Australia. Australia.